Everybody. It's great to be back in worship with you this morning. I've been on this three-month sabbatical, and first of all, a huge thank you to the elders and to this faith community for that gift. Such a gift, such a gift. I, um, I had some time for traveling, for resting, for writing, and I'm very excited to share with you some of the writing I've been working on, on in the months to come, um, but it just was a fabulous time, so thank you for that. Uh, we are kicking off a new series today. It's called Losing My Religion. And I don't know if you have noticed this, but religion can get pretty strange. It can get pretty strange pretty quick. And uh, Paul Tillich once said a very peculiar phrase. He said that sometimes atheism is closer to God than theism. He said sometimes atheism is closer to God than theism. And he said the reason for that is because theism often treats God like an object, not a subject. So what's the difference? An object is something we, are, we stand apart from, we're detached from. We might be beside or under or over, and we're analyzing the object, in this case God, like a scientist would analyze and probe and dissect an object. Paul Tillich says, God never was an object. He, he isn't an object in the first place. And therefore, atheism is sometimes closer because they don't even acknowledge the object that, in, the, in that case. And um, so they have more opportunity to interact with God as a subject. Now, um, just to be clear, on my first Sunday back from sabbatical, I'm not telling you all to go be atheists. But I do think that his observations on that point to the danger of religion. One time the, uh, the lead singer of the band U2, uh, Bono, said this. He said, I often wonder if religion is the enemy of God. It's almost like religion is what happens when the spirit has left the building. Now, Jesus had this common theme of confronting the religious and befriending the irreligious. Jesus was very often confronting the religion of his day. So in this long passage, and we intentionally, Susan read that whole big section of scripture, because in it we hear over and over and over again one line, Jesus keeps saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He just, all throughout that, you heard it over and over and over again. You have heard it said, but I say to you. See, in Jesus' day, the historical context for Matthew 5, the problem was you had these Roman sellouts, and then you had these zealot extremists. Either you were a Roman sellout or a zealot extremist. But the common average Jew had a very difficult time trying to live out their faith in everyday life because there were all these conflicting opinions among all these different religious groups. There were so many different opinions, and there was such an overemphasis on regulations. 
It just became easy to get lost in all those opinions and to either get caught up in all those laws and regulations or to just reject them altogether. So the first century scene that Jesus was on had various groups with different opinions. Um, just to name a few, you had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Herodians. You had the Zealots, um, which, by the way, is a little bit like our modern-day denominational landscape. You have the Presbyterians and the Baptists and the Lutherans and the Methodists and the Pentecostals and the... So in Jesus' day, each group, first of all, had their own response to Roman rule. That was the first thing. Um, some of them advocated that there should be outright rebellion towards Rome. And others, other groups, were like so accommodating towards Rome, they practically joined. So there were different, you could say, there were different postures towards the political landscape of that day. Also, each group had their own theological position on Torah, on scripture. They were all interpreting scripture differently. So they had, they were divided politically, they were divided theologically, they did not agree. Through that mess of a landscape, Jesus cuts through and decisively says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you over and over. See, Jesus is using this repetitive phrase. Because what had happened is all these religious groups had set up a big fence, and the fence was meant to keep people as far away from sin and sinning as possible. But what the fence had actually done is piled a heavy burden on the people, and it also had, um, inadvertently, what it had done is it had taken them further away from their God. Now, today, it's a little bit of a different landscape, but there's some similarities. Today, we don't lack for resources about God. I mean, we have podcasts, we have books, we have magazines, we have audiobooks, we have, we have so many resources about God, to be taught about God. And too often, all these resources actually become a substitute for my actually interacting with God, following Jesus, obeying, taking risks with him. Rather than directly engaging with God, it's easy to focus on what other people say and when I do that, I remain at a distance from God. In a sense, I am treating God like an object rather than a subject. G.K. Chesterton one time said, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Because when you boil it down to the very basics, and we've said this before, uh, when you boil it down to the very basics, following God in the way of Jesus, it's not a creed. It's not a philosophy. It's not a set of viewpoints. It's certainly not a voting block. 
when you boil it down to its essence, following God in the way of Jesus is a personal, ongoing connection with the living God, moment by moment, day by day, with the living God whose love for you like, just absolutely knows no limit. But learning to interact with Jesus himself can cut through all the muck and, of debates and opinions. When we focus on what others say about God and just rely on philosophies and ideas about God, rather than learning to di connect directly with God, we remain at a distance from him. Uh, you know, religion, we're calling the series Losing Your Religion, Religion has a place, it, but it needs to be kept in its place. It has its place, but it needs to be kept in its place. This is about learning to make Jesus' voice and the promptings of God's Spirit our ultimate authority. Because God does not want you caught up in endless uh, debates about him, but he also doesn't want you put off by all those endless debates about him. What he wants to do is cut right through all that and invite you to engage with him directly. You could think about it this way. If you were trying to adopt more of a healthy, active lifestyle, and you started reading all these books on Whole30 and just all these books on health and fitness and how to eat right, but every single day, you kept getting a big gulp and some Funyuns for lunch. <laughs> Doesn't really take traction, right? Okay, same with like, you know, I want to go to the gym and I sign up for every single program in town. I'm in CrossFit. I'm in Orange Theory. I'm, I'm a, a member at every single yoga studio, but I never go because actually I'm just always on my couch watching reruns of Game of Thrones on Netflix. It's not going to have a lot of traction in my life. Tradition, religion, has a place, just like a book on health and fitness has a place. Religion has a place. Tradition has a place. But the role of tradition, the role of religion, is to point you, to, point you towards Jesus. It's not an end in itself. It's to point you towards Jesus. When Jesus would get frustrated with the religious people of his day, over and over again, it was because they were prioritizing their views above people. You look at these different stories in the scripture, you know, the religious leaders, Jesus, are you going to heal the shriveled man's hand on the Sabbath? See, their rules were above people. Jesus had a different priority. People above views. Jesus had a different set of priorities. And that was his issue with the religious leaders of his day. Their priorities were out of order. So if Jesus consistently prioritized people over his own religion, and he's the Son of God, maybe we should too, that we will see others as more important than our views. It's not to say there's no conviction. It's not to say there's not views. People 
I see others as more important than my own views. Um, I was thinking about this in parenting a little bit because God is the perfect parent. So as a parent, you have rules with your children. For example, we put Lila to bed at 7.30. But when we were in Wisconsin on vacation sitting around the campfire and the good stuff, all of the good stuff that happens around a campfire with s'mores and stories and songs and the lake and the sunset, you know what? We pushed that back. We didn't stick right to 7.30. And when I look at some of just great parents who I admire, of course there's boundaries. Of course there's rules. Of course there's structure. Because kids need that every bit as much as they need love. And great parents, they know that when it's in the best interest of their children, they can break those rules. Because their children are more important than their rules. And parents who don't do that create a very orderly home that everybody can't wait to leave. Parents, great parents know that sometimes love looks like inconsistency. And Jesus' conscience was shaped by compassion, not just consistency always. Because the world is messy. See, religion likes to say everything is systematized and orderly all the time. But the real world is messy and unsystematic. And that is why it is so important to always come back to forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sin, forgiveness of shame is like the epicenter of enduring faith. Because if we start to think it's all these rules, it's all this stuff, what happens? We get super arrogant. We get super judgmental. But if we keep over and over again coming back, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner keeps us humble, keeps us loving, keeps us compassionate, keeps us like Jesus. Karl Barth, one time, um, he uses this metaphor. He's talking about religion, and um, it's the metaphor of the dry canal. And he's describing um, the way that we tend to hang on to our past encounters with God in the form of religion. So in the early chapters of Romans, Paul talks, about uh, the religious law being like a dry canal. What's a dry canal? A dry canal is just simply a place where water used to flow. Used to flow there. It might flow there again. It might not. But a dry canal is a place where water used to flow. And uh, Karl Barth says, religion tries to dictate the activity of God according to what it was in the past, and he says the activity of God, I love this, it cannot be compelled to flow between the banks of an empty canal. It can flow there, but it also fashions for itself a new bed in which to run its course. So to know God is to move with a freely flowing river, living water. To know about God is to stand in a dry canal and to say, God moved here once, and I demand he move here again at the same rate, in the same volume, at the same speed that he did before. That's religion. But interacting with God is moving with living water. Leonard Sweet points out this. He says, um, regarding Jesus and rituals and religion, Jesus participated in rituals of synagogue and temple, 
while at the same time criticizing those same customs. Don't separate and isolate, associate and educate. Carol Barth also talks about like if you are to go on a um, hiking trail and there's a sign, say you drive up to Frisco this afternoon, you're gonna hike on Mount Royal and you see the little sign, the sign that says with an arrow, Mount Royal. And say you just sat down under that sign and you said, I experienced the Mount Royal Trail. Of course you didn't experience the Mount Royal Trail, you just went to the sign and sat down underneath it. He says religion is kind of like that. The traditions of the church are meant to direct us to our own encounter with the living God. So as a pastor, my primary goal is not to connect you to me as a communicator. It is not even to connect you to this faith community at Plant Park Church. Of course I would love for all of us to be connected here, of course. But I have a deeper desire. The deeper desire is that you would be connected to the living God in such a way that when you feel all alone, you come to realize, I am never alone. And when you face something that is so hard and so dark, you think, I am never going to smile again, you experience firsthand, I am holding the hand of the one who's conquered a way bigger foe than anything I am facing in my life. And when you struggle with a choice and you're unsure what to do, or when you fall hard and fail and shame washes over you and you're so full of regrets, that you experience firsthand the forgiveness and the cleansing of God that allows you to get back up again and to rise again from those ashes. That's my deeper desire. Whenever we make tradition the end of itself, the end in itself, it is it's, as, it's like as pointless and it's as ridiculous as if we drove to Frisco and sat under the sign for Mount Royal and assumed we had experienced the mountain and done that trail. Of course we haven't. Jesus says, I am the vine, because he didn't invite us to just know about something. He invited us to walk with him. So in a sense, you could say like the journey on that trail, that's the invitation. That's the destination, the journey on that trail with him. Of course, there's an eternal destination, of course. But we're wrong to just equate that with a relationship with him. Because Jesus didn't invite us to a place. He didn't invite us to know something. He invited us to walk with him. And then when we understand walking with Jesus in that way, then the traditions of the church and all these amazing resources that are available to us today, books and podcasts and talks, all those resources become means that we can use or we can leave them behind to hear and speak with Jesus instead of just ends in themselves. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I think in our instant gratification culture, sometimes I think if I just read that right book, if I just listen to that right podcast, if I just get that right bit of information, my relationship with God will be perfect. No more doubts, no more fears. But relationships, they don't work that way. 
It's not like you come to church or pick up that book or go to that conference or hear that podcast and boom, it changes everything forever. This is a journey with a long view over time, walking in relationship with God through the highs, through the lows of our lives. So Josh Gafka, who's leading worship for us today, he and I have known each other for like over 10 years, I think, over 10 years probably. And um, so that's a friendship, that's a relationship that's developed over time. And there's been great like uh, seasons of connectedness and then seasons of not as connected. There's been great um, highs in ministry together. There's been terrible lows in ministry together. Relationships get formed over time, over experiences. And when I, uh, when I think about like how you hear soldiers talk in war, it's not, oh, in spite of the hard times we bonded. It's actually because of the hard times that we bonded. And the same is true for our relationship with God. Like, if you're in a really hard season right now, you're in a really sacred season right now. And I would invite you to not try to control the hard season by just trying to get out of it as fast as possible. But surrender yourself to God in it and allow the pain of that season and the grief work of that season to take you to a more true and beautiful place in your own life and in your own soul. If you're in a hard season, you are potentially in a sacred season because it's not in spite of hard times that our relationships grow. It's often because of them as we move through them together with God. Jesus invites us to walk with him, not master knowledge about him, not rely on other people who supposedly have. We're invited to walk with him. And when we do that, when we find grace and freedom in that, it's not like another demand in a world already full of so many. I was having, uh, just in closing, I was having a coffee with a pastor friend here in Denver over sabbatical, and he just kind of in passing, he said, I've been telling my daughter that I have three jobs as her dad. Number one, I, as your dad, I'm here to help keep you safe. You think, you know, when they're little, that's like, don't run out in the street. As they grow, that's more mentally and emotionally. But as your dad, he said, I'm here to help keep you safe. I'm here to help you make good choices. And I am here to help you remember who you are. And I love that. Because sometimes God's ways, they don't make sense to me. Sometimes his invitation absolutely makes no sense in the moment. Don't worry about tomorrow. I want, I've got plenty of reasons to worry about tomorrow. Forgive your enemy. That is not a good idea. There are plenty of things that Jesus invites us into that do not make sense to me in the moment. And that is why Richard Rohr says that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but the opposite of faith is control. Control that says, God, you got to move in the same way this dry canal. You moved here before, you got to move here again. What is faith? It's I'm in that stream of moving water, and I am trusting that God, my perfect parent, with rules and things I don't understand as his beloved child, 
He actually wants to keep me safe. He wants to help me make good choices. And he wants me to never forget and to always remember my identity, you know, who I am in him. And of course, Jesus invites us in all these things. He invites us into this kingdom living. So I hope you'll join us for this whole series. We're going to be unpacking um, how to engage God, not religion. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, we adore you and we thank you. Where would we be without you? We long to live in your presence, in your goodness. Jesus, you said, I am the bread of life. We know our nourishment comes from you, not from religion, from you. Jesus, you said, I am the light of the world. We know it's in you, not just ideas about you, that we can see clearly because you're the light. Because you are the light, we don't have to live in darkness. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in ignorance and separation from you. Jesus, you said, I am the good shepherd. And we're reminded of that every time we walk in this building and see the stained glass. You said, I'm the good shepherd. Because of that, we're well fed, we're we're well led, we're protected by you as our good shepherd. Jesus, you said that I am the resurrection and the life. And because of that, we don't have to live with fear of sickness and death. Because you said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You said, I'm the vine. And so we know staying connected to you, Jesus, is the most important priority in our lives. God, we're overwhelmed by you. We're in awe of you. We're humbled by you. We just wish to worship you, to follow you all the days of our lives. We love you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.